Tuesday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. We're joining uh, you all a day early. Um, my name is uh, Carrie Coppernall Jacobs, and I'm with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is our weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public ed issues in Oklahoma. And we've got a lot to talk about this Thursday. That's right. We are on the line now with State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister. Thank you so much for joining us, Superintendent. Thank you. It's good to be with both of you, Alicia and Carrie. appreciate it. It is a crazy time right now. So first of all, um, who should show up to work on Monday? We we are hearing different things from um, our members across the state. So that's what people really want to know is who should be at work on Monday. The only personnel who should be coming to school during this time is uh, those who are essential to clerical and administrative functions assisting Mm -hmm. with child nutrition or payroll or billing. Those are things that are mission critical to keeping schools functioning and meeting the child nutritional needs of students. That that might include a bus driver, you know, that is Mm -hmm. going to run a bus route to deliver those meals um, on the bus route, for example, or uh, those who are supporting putting those um, meals together. Mm-hmm. Uh, for curbside delivery, but it has to be uh, someone who is essential to those specific types of, of essential um, administrative functions. So not like an all-staff Not meeting. teachers. Yeah. No way. Um, I, I, teachers and staff uh, do not need to be and should not be based on what we provided at, through the State Board of Education, a cessation of the operation of schools except for those essential critical functions to keep the school operating and the needs, the physical needs of kids met with child nutrition. And making sure the physical needs of kids are met is uh, super important to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's right. We appreciate yeah, those those on the front lines that are going to be um, making sure that our kids are fed and that they you know get those two meals, um, breakfast and lunch uh, every day. That is critical to our students. In fact, one of the waivers that we also are able to utilize is one that allows us to deliver those meals or provide those meals, uh, both lunch and dinner or, um, or, you know, two other combinations of meals at the same time. That prevents from having to run that bus route a second time so, uh, to deliver that second one. So um, we've applied now for a total of six waivers in child nutrition, and uh, these are the really critical ones that will help us get those meals to kids. So the, the two-meal waiver was approved? Yeah, uh, yes. Oh, we actually, awesome. Um, That's great. We, yeah, we, we're good to go. Fantastic. That's great news. It will help both um, parents with only having to get out once a day Mm -hmm. to pick up the meals and um, will help us deliver uh, meals to more kids, I think. And and can I just add one more thing? The reason that we took this action with the board to stop the instructional aspect of school Mm -hmm. is we want our teachers our staff, our children, their families at home. And we know that many will be returning uh, over the weekend from spring break preparing to, you know, they were planning to go back to school. Mm -hmm. But we want them to hunker down, be in their homes, uh, have that really, that that self 
um, isolation. Uh, we know that they're certainly able at this time to go to the grocery store or, or drive through um, the pharmacy for needs, etc. But to limit any kind of time outside their home. This is a critical time for public health to prevent and halt the spread of this coronavirus. And this two-week period is what we would have needed for those who would require a self-quarantine and mm-hmm. separation. Now it's, it's universal across the school. We don't want anyone to um, be out and about and in gatherings or up at school in their rooms trying to um, think ahead for, for what might come next. They need to be at home. That's how we stop this or at least um, slow it and flatten the curve. You know, one of the things uh, that I read the other day was that one in eight of our school kids in Oklahoma is um, their caregivers are grandparents. And we know that that's an especially vulnerable population. And, you know, even though it's not directly, it's not as dangerous for children as it is for older folks, you know, they can be vectors for that and take it home to their caregivers. Very, very true. And as of this recording today, we we actually have two uh, children who have tested positive under the age of five. Wow. And today, marking the first death with uh, Tolson, who was tested on Tuesday and passed away uh, Thursday. Yeah. And I, Superintendent, I certainly appreciate the way that you explained all of that because I am going to make my 16-year-old listen to this podcast <laughs> and that explanation because um, I, I got some major attitude yesterday <laughs> when I told her she was not going to go to lunch with one of her friends today. And, um, and I, you know, yeah. you laid it out exactly the way I laid it out for her, but, you know, I'm just mom. so uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, we don't need to create fear. Right. And I think, you know, as you described, we have to have these conversations with our, with our kids yep. and, and laying out that, you know, these are temporary measures that we are taking right, right now. Right. This is about, um, thinking of others. This is, this is about protecting our neighbors, our friends, our grandparents, our, um, elderly, um, church members, those, those who are part of our everyday community and thinking about maybe some inconvenience and, mm-hmm. and certainly real sacrifice that, that some families are going to experience as different industries and jobs are, are changing and there's people that are not making the, the, the money that they, they had depended upon. But we do know that there there is emergency federal assistance that's coming mm-hmm. because we made a state level closure. It triggered some emergency um, provisions for our teachers and okay. what we are working on. And I know you're going to want to touch on this, but some of what we are working on to include our uh, support staff as well. Well, let's let's talk about that. Um, the the law provides for um, teachers to be paid, but there's not a similar law that protects our support staff, our hourly workers. Um, what what are you guys working on? We know that things are things are happening. What what's happening right. right now with that? That's right. So what we uh, first identified this and 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 went to the legislature, uh, made them also aware that of course they're more than willing to try to to work to add in support staff to this 
Emergency Personnel Act, um, and and yet I don't believe that's going to happen as fast as we need it to. Sure. Uh, so one remedy until that can occur is for our local school districts to liberally allocate additional sick days for all support staff yes. to include them in in that provision by by expanding this. These are these are funds they already have. We're already going to be giving that doesn't require any new dollars. But this is one way they can at the local level make room for the provision so that our support staff don't need to be at school. And you know, in the past, uh, different guides that we have given out uh, earlier. We, we did suggest, well, maybe support staff can come and help with some of the cafeteria work with loading lunches or something along those lines. Um, that may be appropriate for someone who wants to volunteer that's not high risk, that, mm-hmm. that doesn't have children at home, but that they might um, be exposing uh, to any um, suppressed immune system mm-hmm. um, risk, et cetera. But it, they cannot be compelled to work. Uh, if they feel unsafe, we don't want them to put pressure on on these individuals that we so rely on during the year. And um, I yeah. think allowing this liberal allocation of additional sick days is an immediate fix. And I gave guidance today for school districts to uh, do that, as some other districts have already done this. Great. I also heard you say um, in that volunteers. So maybe you've got someone with an immune suppressed Mm -hmm. uh, issue that is a cafeteria worker. Let them Mm -hmm. stay home and maybe someone who's a paraprofessional wants to volunteer to to step into that role. Um, So that's an acceptable thing to do, to reach out and ask your support staff, hey, these are the positions that, um, that are available who wants to come work them? Sure. And those, those are all, all connected to, again, that essential function, mm-hmm. it's essential right. administrative function with the assisting of child nutrition, payroll or billing. And of course, you know, yes, I've, I've had the question, can janitorial custodial work be done? Well, it needs to be limited to the support of these areas. We mm-hmm. don't need a whole cadre of people deep cleaning the building. Um, that that's not right now the most important thing. It's better if those individuals are at home mm-hmm. and we are not circulating within the community. That's that's the best scenario. And then there are those that we are going to need to provide these core essential services, mm-hmm. and, and we appreciate them. Yes, absolutely. So let's move on. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, tell us about the testing waiver. You know, what... What is it about, and when, when do you think we'll know something? Well, today we made an announcement that we are going to be pursuing the assessment waiver. Uh, that also includes accountability. You can't have um, an accountability school report card without the assessments. Right. So that, that's a given. Uh, those, are, those work together in tandem. Um, there are 16 other states as of yesterday when we were drafting this uh, that are, have already done the same thing mm-hmm. in terms of announcing that they are pursuing a waiver. Um, so when will this? When will we know? Uh, we don't know, but I do know that the um, U.S. Department of Education is certainly aware of the 
you know, pandemic and the need with uh, many of our states having made uh, statewide closures of schools, and uh, there isn't likely to be in many of these states a return. Um, even though maybe some states haven't announced that yet, I think everyone is operating right now under the conditions that things are changing every day. And yes, this initial phase we're in right now, for us, it's, it's through April 6th, is about defense. We want to have defensive measures to protect the safety and security and well-being of our children, staff, and their families in our communities. Um, then now, after that, you know, we're now starting to think and begin that process of shifting to offense. All right, how do we keep learning going, even mm-hmm. if we aren't able to get back into school buildings? Mm-hmm. What's that going to look like in different communities? And that's really the second phase of, of how we ensure our kids are going to finish to graduate, that we're able to um, provide what they need in school counseling and um, completing AP courses or all of those things in high school that, that you know, GPAs, big deal. That matters. Um, And hammering out these things that are very, very important to completing the year in a way that will be strong, where we keep learning and and momentum building. And it was important to me to not have our schools having to share the bandwidth of all these efforts and heavy lift to come and be thinking about what if, what if, are we going to have statewide assessments? So let's just move that off the table. And uh, whether we are given word or not, we are not going to have statewide assessments this year. Thank you for that. That will be a huge weight off of, uh, of the minds of our educators across the state, for sure. And sure. you guys have, um, the state board has a meeting uh, this coming Wednesday. What do, you, uh, what do you expect to be on the agenda? What are you guys going to talk about? We have a lot on the agenda. I've seen uh, the start of a draft. And so what we'll be doing is bringing to the board various uh, measures that will help us safeguard some of these um, things that we're talking about right now, even if a waiver were to never come through, let's say, Mm -hmm. for accountability or for assessment. So there are things you will see. One, um, we have the ability to give emergency medical exemption. So we may apply that to everyone. Mm -hmm. Do you see what Mm -hmm. I'm I'm saying on assessment? So we'll take some of these kinds of um, kind of a a second layer approach Mm -hmm. to ensuring we're going to do the right thing for our kids. They don't need to be worrying about any kind of assessment at a time of instability or uncertainty. And that's one example. Um, We'll also do the same thing with regard to the school report card. So um, one of the things we would need to do is to change chronic absenteeism. I think I I mentioned this perhaps even last week when we talked. I'm not sure, but I think I did, uh, where we would just be, if that were to go forward, which Clearly, it, it won't, but we're still going to um, kind of provide this double double level of um, support to um, through the state board. 
we would we would make some of these modifications where um, anything after March one is just not a part yeah. of of a future um, school report card. And and frankly, you can't have a school report card without without the assessment. So. Right. The, but we're still going to take those kinds of steps. I think there's some other things we're looking at. There's um, uh, provisions that we would make on um, attendance uh, on the school year calendar with waiving the requirement for 1,080 hours, um, those types of things. And, and, and we are just trying to consider as much as we can to pack it in to that March 25th board meeting. And by the way, that'll be virtual. I was uh, just with the governors. That. Yeah, it's going to be virtual. So folks can uh, tune in, but they'll be tuning in as board members tune in as well. <laughs> that'll be and good. I think we're, we'll be using Zoom. So, uh, but we're, we're going to stream it through, I believe, Facebook. Okay. Okay. Great. We'll be watching. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Superintendent, for taking the time to speak with us and and share that information with with teachers and families across the state. People really are, you know, it's an uncertain time right now and we need everybody wants all the information they can they can get. So we appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you all so much. And I know teachers are so creative and it is actually going to be a time that I think is like a, a pull start on uh, distance learning, and we're going to learn a lot through the last um, five weeks of school or so, uh, eight weeks, however that, that looks, if that is necessary. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is you can't replace the connection in that relationship with students and their teachers, and we want to see that continue to grow and to provide the kind of structure and stability that our students need. Uh, to be able to move through a time that's very different than probably anything they've ever experienced before. To say the least. It's going to be a journey, <laughs> yeah. and we look forward to uh, to making those steps with you. That's, I appreciate the partnership. Right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Take okay. care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. For our second section, we are here with Terry Gray, who chairs the OEA Election Committee. Thank you for coming in and chatting with us. For sure. Um, so just to, so folks know a little bit about you, you are retired now. Yes. So uh, tell us about what you did before. I taught 28 years uh, in grades four, fifth, and sixth, kind of rotated around um, in Choctaw at mm-hmm. James Griffith Intermediate School. And then I taught 10 years for the gifted and talented class. And that was kind of a pullout program from all of our district schools. Great. Um, so can you tell us, um, we're talking today about elections, obviously. Tell us who in OEA is elected. In OEA, we have several that are elected in uh, positions, and that includes our state president, Mm -hmm. vice president. We have one NEA director that represents the state Mm -hmm. at the NEA uh, when they have board meetings. Each zone has a zone director. We also elect a delegate. Uh, OEA delegate at large to attend our representative assembly here in, in Oklahoma. And then we also elect a NEA delegate at large to represent um, at the delegate assembly in um, nationals, for wherever NEA. it happens to be for NEA. Um, so why, um, why does that matter? Why should members care that they have all of these elected 
these elected roles at the state and national level? It's important to have a voice and someone that you Mm -hmm. can contact and to kind of guide and lead us, our president, vice president, our NEA directors. um, They kind of organize things and let disperse information and let everybody know what's going on at the state and national levels. It's just very important for our zone directors because that's your contact person Mm -hmm. for your particular zone. Uh, If you have questions, concerns, you can contact the OEA and they will put you in with whoever you need to be talking to about your issue. Um, it's just kind of like our national elections for the United States. You mm-hmm. have your main person, your second person in charge, and it just breaks down from there. Um, and give us an example of um, what our board of directors does. Alicia, do you, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because people, I think, understand vice president, president, those roles. But talk about board of directors. What are those? What kind of decisions are those people's, people making? So our board of directors makes policy-type decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the goals and visions of the OEA? Uh, the president can put together ide- ideology mm-hmm. about what we want mm-hmm. to do, where we want our focuses to be, mm-hmm. and, and without the board being right there to guide. We Mm -hmm. have guiding documents that our members vote on, our constitution and bylaws, our resolutions, which are our belief statements. We go to those. But when we have a board meeting, uh, the board can decide on on what direction we want to go with a certain bill or um, what they need back in their local uh, zones and regions. you know they may need they may need extra professional engagement around trauma issues mm-hmm. but this uh region over here needs some professional development on something else mm-hmm. so um it's really getting the feel for what the members in their districts need and bringing that voice to uh the larger group so that we can meet the needs of all of our members and this is not true of all organizations. This is, I mean, this is unique to OEA that we are a democratic organization with a democratic structure. That is true. Absolutely. Um, Terry, can you tell us a little bit about the elections committee? What is it that you, that you all do? Um, what's your role? As a chair of the election committee, we call two meetings per year uh, to meet. And one is at the close of the filing period mm-hmm. uh, for candidates wishing or people wishing to run for office. Um, at that time, we verify that they're a member first. Mm-hmm. We verify um, that their form is all filled out correctly. Um, we double check. They, they're able to provide a headshot and a short little biography. We make sure that those meet um, the qualifications needed to put them on the Web page mm-hmm. or to print them and, and to get them published. Um, and then we also draw for candidate placement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that if the candidate wishes to be there, they can come in and draw for their position. Uh-huh. Uh, if not, then our members, we just rotate it around and, and yeah. they draw for position on the ballots. Then we meet again at the end of the closing of the filing, uh, the voting period, and we verify the numbers mm-hmm. for each candidate. Uh, and then we split up the different um Members will or different members of the committee will phone call or send a certified letter to the people that to, to let them know the results. And those results are public. Yes, we, we absolutely. Sh- we publish them on our web page, mm-hmm. but we go ahead and notify them right yeah, away. Right. Don't don't want to wait. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so can you tell us uh, 
about voting this year? I mean, this we we have elections every year. Um, mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what is happening in 2020? Okay. Our voting time period is, let me find my notes here, is um, March the 16th through the 27th. Mm-hmm. OEA does an official election day, which is March the 24th on Tuesday. Uh, you can vote anytime during that time period, but OEA likes to emphasize that the importance of voting for mm-hmm. your association in your association elections, if you have the state elections, national elections, anything that comes up during that time, um, so that you have a voice, so that you have someone that you can can have to go and represent you at the different levels. And members got an email. There's emails. It's on the web page. Uh, this year we added we're, we're adding a text we're message, which is a text message thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, our staff will be hustling members who have elections that we have their cell phone numbers. If we don't have your cell phone number at OEA, we can't do that. Just like if we don't have your email address, we can't um, we can't send you the link your through email. email. So what happens? Um, what what do you recommend if somebody um, maybe they haven't gotten the email or they or they didn't get a hustle or that kind of thing. How can they, how can they, and they do qualify this year. They have a region. What do they need to do? They can go to the OEA webpage Mm -hmm. and there is a little section there. There's, there'll be a little button that says vote. Uh They can click on that. And then you have to sign in with your first initial and last name Uh and your last four digits of your social security number, except for Tulsa. And they have their own TPS number that, that they log in with. And whatever is open for you to vote on for your particular zone will pop up and you will see have you'll have access to click a link to get the pictures and the little biography. Mm-hmm. Um, you vote, send it in. It's very easy, very fast. And um, just to kind of, you know, in summary, why should OEA members vote? In because, their association election. Because we are in a, a d- democracy mm-hmm. and voices matter. And you, if you want to have a say in what's going on and be represented, you need to do your part and vote. Yes. And, and our members can go to okea.org, our website, and look at the candidates that are running in their area. If they don't know them, you can reach out and, and meet them and ask them, you know, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Why are exactly. you running? And, and you can see those now before elections even open up. You can actually go on and see those now. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Terry. We really appreciate you taking the time today, but also your work for the association. You're welcome. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements, although it's not really morning right now, to tell the truth. (laughs) Um, We just spoke with uh, Superintendent Hoffmeister and... um, had a great conversation, but I want everybody to know that you probably should have gotten a, an email from NEA asking you to contact legislators and the U.S. Department of Education about some of those waivers. So um, so you can be proactive in helping us get those waivers passed by um, contacting our federal legislators and, um, and our uh, U.S. Department of Education, Betsy DeVos. So um, let's talk about elections. We have elections going on right now. Uh, they started on Monday. They run through next Friday, the 25th at 5 o'clock. 27th. So, 27th is yes, next Friday. Friday. 
I don't know days. I don't even what day of the week is it, Carrie? Thursday, it, apparently. It is Thursday. It's <laughs> it's, it's it's Thursday okra. Um <laughs> anyway, we have all been social distancing and um and are in this room social distancing as we record the podcast. And um and so we're just all a little punch drunk right now, I think. So uh, I want you to go online to the okea.org website right there on the front page. It's elections info. Click on it, vote, read about the candidates before you vote, um, and uh, share that with your friends. The OEA is still serving members, like always. So if you have issues, if you have questions, you can contact us as needed. Of course, you can email any of, of the staff or you can call up here at 528, that's 405, 528-7785, and we will get your question um, sent to the right person. Uh, we have other uh, we have uh, an office in Tulsa as well, and um, I don't have their number memorized, but you can go on the OEA website and uh, find anyone that you need to contact. So it's business semi as usual here. We just uh, aren't having people into the office. Um, we're working on a skeleton crew and everybody else is working from home. So that's the way we're handling things at the OEA. Um, and hopefully you've gone on and, and looked at our robust webpage on the coronavirus. Uh, it has all kinds of OCLA-ED issues, questions and answers. Um, the FAQ, frequently asked questions are there, social media posts, uh, news stories, and this podcast. So, um, so make sure that you are going on. That specific page is okea.org forward slash coronavirus. So um, all kinds of information to go on there. Uh, we are also doing a four at four where we talk about the four top issues uh, of the day at four o'clock. And that will be a Facebook live Monday through Thursday. And then the podcast would go out on Friday on a normal week. So um, talking about social distancing, how's that going at your house, Carrie? Um, well, I have a fourth grader and a pre-Ker. And I've, I've been working from home and so has my husband and my mom is in town visiting. So we've all just been having a lot of bonding time, <laughs> just a lot of, there's no social distancing within our house. Everyone is just all there together, but it's been good. It's, it's actually, it's been, it's been good. And our girls are doing, they miss their friends. I think like they would, you know, on any spring break, but, um, they're doing good. We're doing good. You guys been staying home? We've been we've been staying at home. Mm -hmm. Like I told superintendent, uh, I d wouldn't let my daughter go out with uh, go out to lunch with a friend, and so uh, I was persona non grata <laughs> for um, as long as she remembered that that had happened, <laughs> and then and then you know she wanted something else, and so then it was I, I was back in. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernell Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. We hope you'll join us again next Friday or Thursday, whatever <laughs> day we post on Fried Okra. So until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.